Ephesians chapter 3. I know I sound a little rough this morning. If you're here Wednesday night, you know I don't sound quite as rough as I did then. You get this about once a year. Maybe this will be it for this year. Uh, but bear with me and we'll get through it together this morning. I've struggled a little bit, just to be honest with you. I'm pretty honest with you most times. Struggled a little bit with chapter 3. I feel like we're a little bit bogged down. And I don't want to get bogged down. I feel like we're a little bit bogged down. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit in the sermon this morning. And I'm tempted just to kind of take chapter 3 in a, in a big chunk and just move on through it. It's kind of contrary to my nature. You know, I, want to, I want to be honest with the text. And so... Um, I guess I'm just asking for you to bear with me a little bit, not just with my voice, but also if you feel like we're just kind of plodding a little bit at this point, that we probably are. We probably are. Here's the, here's the thing about Ephesians, though. Once we get through chapter 3, boy, chapters 4 through 6 are such rich. You know, the, the way Ephesians breaks down is the first three chapters are theological, heavily theological. And then the first word in chapter 4 we'll see in a few weeks is the word therefore. And then it turns immensely practical. And talks about how we live the Christian life based upon all the theology that's been taught in the first three chapters. So that'll give you a little hope. We're going to get out of the dips here in just a few weeks. So chapter 3. We looked at 1 through 3, verses 1 through 3 last week. And we're going to pick up and deal with verses 4 through 7. This morning. Remember, this is God's word. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me according to the working his power again that's God's word let's pray Heavenly Father we ask now again for your grace as we deal with this portion of your holy and inspired word. We thank you so much for it. And we thank you for what Paul himself told us, that all scripture is inspired by God. And every word of it is profitable, helpful for us to become the men and the women of God you called us to be. It's helpful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And I pray that these verses from Ephesians 3 would have that effect in our lives today. Father, we want to know you and we want to know your will. So we pray that you would use this portion of your word to reveal, to reveal both to us, both yourself and your will to our hearts. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, last week when we looked at verses 1 through 3. We talked about uh, Paul's spiritual authority. And uh, I talked then about how it's important 
that uh, anyone from whom you are taught the Word of God should have some sense of spiritual authority. You're going to profit from someone's teaching or someone's preaching, then there has to be some sense of authority in their life, some, some sense of spiritual authority, some authority from God. And of course, we know that authority comes only from uh, the reality of His Word. Uh, and that authority does not just come from their calling, but it also comes from their character, not just from what they do, but also from who they are. We talked about Paul's spiritual authority and how he was kind of reaffirming his authority to these Ephesian Christians as he opened chapter 3. And he gave us four reasons for that spiritual authority. One was he was willing even to go to prison for the cause of Christ. We, we just prayed for persecuted Christians and Paul certainly was one of those. He was willing to suffer for the cause of Christ and suffer even to the point of being imprisoned to proclaim the truth of the gospel to, his peop- to God's people. He also had that spiritual authority because he held those to whom he ministered close to his heart. Remember Paul said, I, I, I'm a prisoner of Christ for your sake. It was on their behalf. And, and Paul is willing not just to go to prison for the sake of Christ, but also to suffer for the sake of the people to whom he was called to minister. And as we'll see again this morning, he was called to minister specifically to the Gentiles, which got Paul in a lot of hot water with a lot of Jewish believers. His spiritual authority also came from the fact that God entrusted to him that the message of his grace Ephesians 2 has been all about the grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. You know, Paul was the messenger of the gospel of grace. God had entrusted that message to him. That earned Paul significant uh, points with the people to whom he ministered. And the last evidence of his spiritual authority was God had also entrusted to him this great spiritual mystery. Great mystery. The fact that we're all equal at the foot of the cross. There's no longer any distinction made. And we all come to faith in the same way, by the same grace, and through the same sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And because of that spiritual authority Paul had, the Ephesian believers and other Christians were able to believe Paul, trust Paul, and follow Paul. Now I said last week that this is kind of a parenthetical section where, where Paul is going to pray for these Ephesian believers. He really ends this uh, theological section in chapters 1 through 3 at the end of this chapter by offering a prayer. And really the way the chapter unfolds, it appears he really be, be, almost intended to begin that, not almost, he intended to begin that prayer in, in verse 1 of chapter 3. But then through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, his mind went, went back to some of these other issues trying to reaffirm his spiritual authority and reconfirm the truths that he's been teaching about the oneness of believers in Christ and how we all come to salvation the same way. He picks up in, later in verse 14 and does offer that prayer. And we'll, 
We'll get to that in time. But in our passage this morning, therefore, Paul is really continuing that same train of thought, focusing more upon this mystery that he's been talking about now for some time, and also reaffirming his spiritual authority uh, to the church. I want to look at four things this morning, and I'll try to be brief because my voice is kind of shot. But four things about Paul's relationship in particular uh, to this mystery that he's been talking about. And we see first in verse 4, Paul's insight into that ministry. He says in verse 4, by referring to this, and the word this there refers back, the antecedent is is in verse 3 where he talks about the mystery being made known to him, this mystery of the the inclusion of the Gentiles into the kingdom and being fellow heirs of the grace of God. He said, by referring to this, by, by knowing this, he says, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. And so, Paul again is talking about this uh, this mystery, and, and it might might seem something like a broken record to you. Ah, right, I've forgotten. Some of you probably don't even know what a record is. <laughs> you know, I grew up in the days before uh, iPods and iPads and iPhones and Whatever else people used to play music. Yeah, we had records back in the day, didn't we? We had records. And you, you put a record on the record player, and you put the needle on the record, and the record would play music for you. Well, you know what happened when you had a broken record or a record with a scratch in it? The needle would stop, and it would just repeat the same sounds over and over and over again, until it was just obnoxious till you moved the, the needle to a better place. When I say that Paul may sound here like a broken record, he's repeating the same thing over and over. But you know why he's doing it. He's doing that because it's such an important truth. And it was such a hard truth for the Jews to understand. This was a mystery. It was a mystery because it was something that they just could not grasp that those dastardly Gentiles whom they had hated for so long could now be included as fellow heirs of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul had says, I've been granted insight into that. God's allowed me to see it. Remember I said last week that the biblical idea of mystery is not the same as ours. To us a mystery is a puzzle. Something confusing. Nothing confusing about it. It's just hidden. The truth was hidden. And now it's been revealed. And, And Paul was the one through whom God chose to reveal it. And so God had given him insight into this great and special truth of the gospel. Second, we see Paul's revelation of this mystery, or the revelation of this mystery to Paul, I might say, 
Verse 5, which in other generations, he says, was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. Of course, one of those was Paul himself. Those in the days of the Old Covenant, you know, they just only had a glimpse of this truth. And they didn't understand how God's plan of salvation could be universal, how it could include men of all nations and all tribes and of all peoples. The many truths that we find in the Old Testament can only be understood in the light of the New Testament. And this is one of those truths. You know, perhaps you've said or heard it said before that the New, the New Testament, is in the Old concealed. And the Old Testament is in the New revealed. And that's the way it is. Many things that are taught in the New Testament are in the Old Testament, but they're just concealed, they're hidden. And those concealed things in the Old Testament are revealed in the New. And that's what, exactly what Paul says here in verse 5. In other generations, this was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed. Now, I'll give you an example. When God called Abraham out of Haran to come to Canaan, Enter in the covenant with him. And God told Abraham, In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And he said, In your seed, or in your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. He said the same thing to Abraham's son Isaac. He told him, By your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. He told the same thing to Isaac's son Jacob. In you and in your descendants all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all received the promise that in them and in their descendants all the nations, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. But they had no clue what that meant. They did not know how that blessing would come or what that blessing would look like. That, you see, can only be discovered in the New Testament. It was a mystery in the Old Testament. How all the nations of the earth would somehow be blessed through the life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and of their descendants. And again, Paul and the other apostles and prophets in the New Testament were the ones through whom God chose to reveal it. It says in verse 5, it has now been revealed to his holy prophets and apostles and prophets in the Spirit. What we believe is that in the days of the New Testament, the days of Paul and the other apostles and prophets, that the Holy Spirit was revealing his truth to them. That's how we have the New Testament. God the Holy Spirit was inspiring these men to write down the fulfillment of what we find in the Old Testament. You know, Jesus said, look, I didn't come to abolish, I came to fulfill. 
And the Holy Spirit continued to reveal that to us. So now we believe that what has been revealed is, is full. We have God's completed word at our disposal. But the point is that God did not reveal these things in full to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their descendants. He's revealed it now to us through his apostles and prophets. And then third, we see Paul's explanation of this mystery. And it's in verse 6. Now, in my text, verse 6 begins with the three words, to be, to be specific. But they are in italics in my, word, in my translation. Maybe the same thing in yours. In, in, in the New American Standard, when it's in italics, that means it's not found. Those specific words are not found in the original Greek. They're kind of added. And, and they're added to make it flow better, to understand exactly what, what the text is saying. And the point of verse 6 is this, is this is the mystery. Everything that Paul's been talking about, about this mystery, is summed up now in verse 6, where he says this, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. It couldn't be said any more clearly than that. And again, you just have to understand what a hard thing that was for so many of the Jews, even Jewish Christians, to grasp and to understand. There had been such a divide between the Jews and the Gentiles for so long. It was hard for them to grasp. Now they were somehow one in Christ. You know, in Jesus' day, in Paul's day, lepers were some of the most feared people. They were feared because of the contagion of their disease. And they were forced to stay apart from society. They had to stay away from other people and and, and the people in that day could not think of lepers intermingling with regular people, of, of interacting at the marketplace or coming to a, the synagogue. They had to be separate. They were anathema. And, and that's almost the way it was with the Gentiles and the Jews. The Jews just couldn't think of the Gentiles intermingling with them socially in such a way. You might remember that even the, the Apostle Peter, who, who was led by God to, to bring the first Gentile convert, for fear of being sneered at by Jews when they were watching him, refused to have fellowship with Gentiles. It was a serious issue in this day. And that's why it keeps being repeated and and here it is stated so clearly. And notice the three things he says about the Gentiles here in verse 6. He says, first of all, that they are now fellow heirs. Referring to their participation in the body. Everyone who comes to Christ, Jew or Gentile, becomes an equal member of the family of God. A child of God. They know God is their heavenly Father. And each convert is now an equal heir the grace of God. All of his blessings are on all of his children equally. Then he goes on to say they are also fellow members of the body. 
Here the analogy moves from the family to the, to the body. You know, Paul, especially in 1 Corinthians 12, spends a great deal of time talking about how the church resembles the human body, how the human body is made up of so many different parts. And, and no part has the same function. But, but every part is essential and important. And how the functioning of one part depends upon the proper functioning of another part. And, and here Paul says that the Gentiles are fellow members of the body. They're members of the body just as the Jews, Jewish believers are. And God puts them in the body just where he wants them to be. Then he also says they are fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That really was the rub, wasn't it? For so long the Jews thought they were the recipients of the promise. But the promise was theirs and belonged to no one else. That really was the rub. They couldn't think that the promise really belonged to someone else too. They're fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You see, the point is that the promise was not just to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's physical descendants, but also to their spiritual descendants. Abraham really is the father of the faithful. All those who claim faith in Jesus Christ. Well, what does all this mean to us? It means there are no first class or second class Christians. Look at it with me at Colossians chapter 3. Just... For a second, Colossians 3, verse 11, where Paul says this, There is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man. But Christ is all in and all. Then you go to back to Galatians right before Ephesians Galatians chapter 3 in verse 28 you see the same thing there's neither Jew nor Greek there's neither slave nor free man there's neither male nor female for you're all one in Christ Jesus what does that mean for us? it means for us there is no black or white There is no rich or poor. There is neither gifted or not gifted. There are no haves and have-nots. It doesn't matter what your background. It doesn't matter your status. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you haven't done. When you come to Christ, when you come to Christ, you're an equal heir to the grace of God. Equal recipient of the promises that God gave to His people. say before that you know we all divided ourselves up into different denominations kind of mars the truth the reality of the kingdom we're all one we're all one in Christ Presbyterians no better than the Methodists or the Baptists now some of you look at me funny saying I thought, I thought I was here. <laughs> I'm like, well, you're here. You know, 
before the throne of God. Oh, we believe in Christ. There's no distinction. But the Bible says, no distinction. We have theological differences. We may have worship practice differences. We have, may have lots of differences. But folks, if we believe in Jesus, we trust in him, we're all one. We're all one at the foot of the cross. We're all equal there. And there's one, one more thing. And that's Paul's ministry of this church, of this mystery. Paul's ministry of this mystery. Verse 7, where he says this, of which I was made a minister, that is, made a minister of that mystery, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me, according to the working of his power. Paul was a minister of that mystery. The word minister there is the word Greek word diakonos, really for servant. A servant is someone who serves something or someone else. And Paul was a servant of the Lord, to be sure, but in specific, Paul says, look, I was a servant of this truth. God gave this truth to me. And my calling is to serve it, to give it to the people. To tell it, to teach it, to stand by it, to proclaim it. No matter what that might bring my way. And notice what Paul says about that in this verse. He says, I was made a minister. Didn't say I chose this path. Because God chose it for me. You know, all the way through Paul's testimony, both as a Christian and as a, as a minister of the gospel, he points us to God's sovereignty, doesn't he? Paul was the last person. Well, when he was Saul. Saul was the last person you would have thought would have come to faith in Jesus. He was the last person you would have thought would have ministered God. And yet what amazing things God does. For he took this radical, hate-filled Jew who was on a path of absolute destruction against the church of the Lord Jesus and changed him into a new man and gave him a new ministry. God made the Apostle Paul a minister. You see, there are no self-made Christians. God calls us to himself and there are to be no self-made or self-appointed ministers. God is to make them what they are and to call them to that task. And he says, he did so according to the gift of God's grace that was given to him. You know, it's easy for us to look at the Apostle Paul and say, what a, what a magnificent man he was. What a magnificent servant. And God gave him such magnificent gifts and such magnificent abilities and such a wonderful calling. And we think, well, that was Paul. This is me. Never minimize your own calling. Never minimize your own gifts. It goes back to what we said about the body earlier. You know, we're all different. We all do different things. 
Look, some of you are so gifted in so many areas, areas that I don't have gifts. Some of you can't ever get up here and do this, but I can't even do what you do. That's why we need each other. Never minimize whatever gift it is God has given to you. Because whatever it is, I guarantee you, you can say the same testimony that Paul gave us here. God gave it to you. God made you that way. According to the gift of His grace in your life. So look for ways in the body that you can use those gifts that God has given to you. You might serve Him faithfully and well, just like the Apostle Paul did his. Pray. Father, thank you so much again for your word, for your blessed to our hearts. We thank you for great men like the Apostle Paul, used in such marvelous ways. Help us not to see, however, that you use us as meek as we are, as weak as we are, to accomplish your purpose and your will. Build us together as a body into what you have us to be, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.